Hey guys, a quick message before we kick off this episode today. Yes, this is Riley. I am here recording this message for you, although I am not in this episode today. I hope to be back next week. Uh, but uh, I have been uh, dealing with the COVID-19 virus. It has put me down a little bit more than I care to uh, like, but uh, I am I'm well on my way to uh, being uh, healed, guys, and I appreciate all of you for your, your prayers and thoughts and uh, for being patient with me coming back from this. We have a special announcement to make before this episode is released so that folks have a time to hear about this and have an opportunity to participate. Since some of you may listen to the podcast only to the podcast itself and not actually follow any of the live broadcasts that we do, um, we wouldn't want you to miss out on this. So here's the deal. We are coming up and we'll be recording next Wednesday, episode 500 of the Concealed Carry Podcast. We're super excited about this. And so because of that, we're doing a huge giveaway for all of you as um, as our as our thank you for 500 wonderful episodes of the podcast. So we have eight prizes lined up currently and waiting on maybe another entry or two into this. Uh, one particular, one particularly big item I hope comes through, but we'll just see how it, how it, we'll just see if it comes through or not. But here's the thing. So to celebrate 500 episodes, we are giving away a ready up gear range ruck backpack value of $120 retail, uh, a set of Roger 22 earmuffs also from ready up gear a value of $40, a ready up gear messenger bag, uh, I think that's a value of about $60. Also, we're giving away a Mantis X, a holster of your choice off anything that we are dealers for or that we sell on concealedcarry.com. The Ready Up Gear MCF Spark Flashlight, also pretty awesome. Or you have the opportunity to win a two-pack of Palm Pepper Spray, which is really, really awesome as well. And as of right now, the big grand prize is one free ticket to the Guardian Conference in September later this year in Oklahoma City. That's a value of $750. So guys, here's how you get a chance to enter into and potentially be one of the lucky eight winners as of right now, or there will be eight winners. Uh, you got to go to concealedcarry.com forward slash 500 giveaway and that is the numerals 500 and then giveaway spelled out g-i-v-e-a-w-a-y so concealedcarry.com forward slash 500 g-i-v-e-a-w-a-y 500 giveaway and you'll just have to put in a little some information that's so we can get in touch with you but also we're hoping that you will answer a few brief survey questions regarding the podcast and you do so, and we are thrilled to have you entered automatically into the giveaway for the 500th episode. Guys, thanks for the ride. It's been fun. I'm sorry I've been away for a couple of weeks, but I look forward to being with you and with Jacob and Matthew in episode 500 next Wednesday. All right. Don't forget, concealedcarry.com forward slash 500 giveaway. Take care. Enjoy the podcast. This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode 498.
Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by XS Sites. Today is April 14th, 2021, and I am joined today by Brian Eastridge, the host of the Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast. Hello, Brian. How's it going, Jacob? Mighty fine. Uh, I had a great time this last weekend in OKC. That's Oklahoma City for you outsiders. Uh, I was visiting there for the CCW Safe Summit, and uh, we had some good times. We threw some, first time you and I have been on a gun range together, so that kind of cements the, the brotherhood, right? Yeah, that's that's a bond. Yeah, yeah. When you throw lead down range, it's when it's real. Now I can send you a LinkedIn invite, and you would you would accept. So <laughs> that was a joke. And, and, uh, so, <laughs> and you got to uh, you got to shoot the Beretta, the one that like gets everybody's attention. So I was happy about that that I got to share that with you. Yeah, so Brian is a true gun guy, whereas I am really not a true gun guy. Brian is a true gun guy. Many a guns came out and people were like, ooh, and I was like, that's cool. Can I shoot it? And so the Beretta was pretty impressive. Brian does some pretty cool gunsmith work, and uh, I had a good time shooting. There were a handful of Berettas, I think, that, that well, at least two that I shot that I know have, have had the Brian touch. Yeah, that that was uh, mine and Justin's are the the media and content manager from CCW Safe. That was one I worked over for him, and uh, he is now I won't say a full tilt convert, but pretty close. So <laughs> very good. Before we dive into today's rapid fire episode, which you guys are going to love, first couple words from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by XS Sites. Uh, Brian's been learning a lot about XS Sites in the last couple of days, and I'm a huge fan of XS. They have a lot of different sites. I'm my, my favorite is probably the F8 sites, but ultimately at the end of the day, sites are about how fast you can acquire a site picture. And there are some things that determine how fast you can acquire a site picture. Uh, some of those things vary, you know, at a personal level and figuring out what works best for you. But I know that I need blacked out rear notch with really super duper high visible front sight. And I need to find it in that notch as fast as possible. And obviously training is more important than gear, but gear does help. And so I encourage you to check out xssites.com. And also today's episode is brought to you by Ammo Supply Warehouse, ammosupplywarehouse.com. Uh, it's hard, right? Ammo and COVID and or whatever right now, ammo is expensive and or hard to get. Ammo Supply Warehouse definitely still has stock. They, um, almost, almost all the time when I check, they do have inventory. You're going to pay more for it right now than you would like, but I think that they are on par with what you would be paying in the Gunstar, probably a little less expensive. So I encourage you to check out ammosupplywarehouse.com. And for those of you who are Guardian Nation members, don't forget there's a coupon code in the members area. You can save above and beyond that on ammosupplywarehouse.com. Okay, so rapid fire. What's this all about? Here's the deal. I have a list here of top secret questions that I have prepared in advance. And Brian is going to be presented with these questions. I'm going to read them off to him. And he's going to have less than 60 seconds to answer any given question. He can go 60 seconds if he wants. Some of them might only require 10 seconds, but he can go 60 if he wants. But but what we you know what we can't have is like a five-minute disclaimer as to why he answered any given question the way he did. Those are the rules, Brian. I I even wore, in honor of this moment, I wore the iconic legendary chronograph Omega Speedmaster that put men onto the moon. So I I, I can't run over 60 seconds. It's, it's Brian is a, a watch uh, junkie, and in addition to being a gun a gun junkie, Brian is also a watch junkie slash snob. 
Um, and, and Brian, just for the record, no watch put man on the moon. Just, just so you're clear on that. Well, this is true, but it helped him get there and it helped him get back. So, okay. I'll believe that. So <laughs> that's the plan for today's episode. Rapid fire. Now, before we dive into the questions, Brian, uh, I don't know, tell us, give it, give us the like 30 second bio, bio who's Brian, what's he doing and why do we care what you think? Let's see. 19 year cop, 15 year firearms instructor, small business owner, uh, that's, that's kind of me in a nutshell, uh, long time competitive shooter. Uh, yeah, that's, that is the most abbreviated I can get it. And, uh, <laughs> he's already prepped for was, like the 60 I've second answer. So yeah, it's like, so, I, yeah. I gotta be fast. Oh, I'm um, gonna add podcast, uh, podcast host now. So that's right. Right. So Brian's the main dude behind EDC belt company, the foundation belt. He's the designer. He's the host of the off duty on duty podcast. Encourage you to go check that out. Amazing insights about concealed carry, both from a law enforcement and a concealed carrier perspective. And, uh, and Brian's a cop and shooter and fireman instructor. Okay. So are you ready for the rapid fire? Shoot. All right. I'm checking the timer here and here we go. So, Brian Eastridge. I feel like a game show host. It's kind of awkward. Yeah, it's okay. We'll get through this. Game shows are fun. All right, here we go. Brian Eastridge. Nine millimeter or 45 or other? Nine millimeter, 45 and other uh, for me personally. Nine millimeter all the way. Uh, Carry gun, defensive gun, practice gun, range gun, toy guns, whatever. Nine millimeters. Great. I still have much love for 38 Super 10 millimeter, 40 Smith and Wesson, 357 Sig, all the other cool ones, but uh, nine millimeter all the way. Cool ones. I like cool ones. Uh, brand of earmuffs. Brand of earmuffs. I have them right here. The Roger 22s from uh, Ready Up Gear. These are my new favorite earmuffs, period, hands down for the price point. Nothing beats them. That was the correct answer. Thank you. Um, (laughs) yes that was correct Uh, let's see best admin light best tack light so handheld lights handheld lights I don't believe in admin light tack light any of that they're all a flashlight and they should all do the same thing my personal favorite currently right now right this moment best bang for the buck on the market is the ready up gear spark that's this thing is killer 550 lumens um I, I don't know what an admin light is, to be honest with you, when you sent me that question. So <laughs> so just so that people don't think this is a commercial for Ready Up Gear, uh, yeah. like give us one more light in addition to that one you like. Uh, the ProTac 1L1AA, that, that's probably my number two seat. And it's the one I always end up going back to when I try something else. So that one's mm-hmm. in the rotation constantly. Yep, yep. Uh, weapon mounted light. Streamlight TLR one. Ooh, the classic old yeah. faithful. Yep. Yeah. I, I have a hard time moving off of the TLR one myself. I think it's just, if you've ever played Sims war and you've taken a round in the, in, in, in the flashlight, the TLR one for the price and the, the ability to actually repair it yourself has that. That's where it's at to me. Pound for pound, dollar for dollar. That's the, that's the one I go to. Yep. Yep. Uh, if you're running an OWB holster, should it have a level two retention or just, you know, good old traditional like friction fit. 
Concealed or duty? Uh, let's go with duty since we're talking OWB. Duty retention all the way. Some type of mechanical retention. Level one, level two, doesn't matter. Uh, I'm a big fan of the ALS system by Safariland uh, for concealed carry friction. Yep. Uh, that was a question from a live viewer, by the way. We are taking questions from live viewers. Here's another one. Favorite trauma kit, or if that's too vague, maybe a specific piece of trauma gear. Uh, favorite piece of trauma gear, uh, definitely a tourniquet. Uh, the trauma kit, I, I, they, I've got several. They just kind of like stuff goes in, stuff comes out, but the tourniquet's always there. Excellent. Um, rank the following in order of priority for everyday carry. Okay, I'm going to give you four items, and you have to you have to you know, reorder these from the most important to the least important. Okay, tourniquet, spare magazine, pepper spray, fixed blade knife. Okay, for everyday carry with a gun, spare magazines number one, tourniquets number two, fixed blade knife number three, pepper spray number four. Mm, interesting. Uh, yeah. I you, you you surprised me by the way. So mm-hmm. I want you to justify for me why a spare magazine is more important than those other three items. Well, uh, spare magazine, having personally gotten out on a call and had my seatbelt ripped the base plate of, plate of a magazine off, I, I had a spare. So it, if you've got no spare mag, you could potentially have no gun. Gun being number one. Tourniquet being number two. Tourniquet, I'm not saying you can completely get around it, but there are ways that you can mitigate some of that, Uh, especially now I would never encourage you to use your foundation belt as a tourniquet, but if you had to get pressure on a wound pretty quick, you can do that with a, a belt with a buckle like that, at least until you can get something else on it. But if you got no bullets to make your gun go pow, you're in a big pickle. So that's that's my precedent. Uh, favorite hamburger joint. And if that's, you know, if you don't care about hamburgers, then we expect some other awesome eatery in Oklahoma city and OKC. Oh, Nick's burgers by far. Uh, me and Trish ate there while you guys were chowing down on, uh, some, some like prime steaks over at mahogany. So favorite burger joint, Nick's Nick's grill. Where's Nick's like, give us an intersection. 1100 North Robinson. Yeah. Which is walking distance from my place. So Nick's burgers. I like it. Um, what, if any knife do you carry? Uh, typically I carry a bench made Phaeton or a, uh, bench made infidel out the front knife. And then I, I have a, a, a side folder automatic bent by bench made. I, I typically stick with those. Yeah. Excellent. Um, oh, this one's rather specific. Greg from sulfur, Oklahoma is asking, are you a member of OK2A? Whatever the heck that is. And if not, why not? Uh, no, I'm not a member, and I will uh, I will not answer the second part of that. Sorry, Greg. <laughs> okay. So he's got a good reason. Uh, okay. One U.S. city you never want to visit. Like, I never want <laughs> to go there, ever. Easy. Seattle, Washington, because it rains all the time, and I hate the smell of pot. <laughs> it rains all the time, and I hate the smell of pot. That's pretty good. <clears throat> I actually really like Seattle. Just like, I don't want to live there. Oh, and I just grunge, like music, there. grunge music killed all the talented music back in the early nineties. So I, I really don't like Seattle. 
You blame Seattle for ruining. I blame Seattle for killing all the talented musicianship off. (laughs) Love it. I knew I was going to get you. (laughs) Have you you been to Seattle? Like, I think we have to just find out if you can. I stopped in their airport once and, uh, you know, the smell of patchouli just really turned me off. So it was like, yeah, let's go. (laughs) I had a layover there one time flying to Colorado. I had to junction through Seattle. How does that work? I'm from the Midwest and I'm like, we're landing at SeaTac. Huh? What? Like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to Denver. I, I, I saw Denver out the window and now we're in SeaTac. And, uh, airlines do oh funny well. things, bro. I went Sometimes once from Denver. I, I went once from Salt Lake to San Diego via New York City. Uh, you beat me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, beat that one. Brian, uh, how do you prefer to carry or have access to medical gear? So are you like a, the ankle cuff guy? Do you just have one in the car? Like, you know, do you just have a tourniquet? In the, like, what do you do? I have a tourniquet on my person 99% of the time. That's because, you know, we got to take a shower once a day, right? So I've got at least or once a week, maybe. Uh, I've got a tourniquet on my person all the time in my car. I have a med kit in my bicycle at work. I have a med kit. So a very compact one, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I prefer to carry it. Uh, what brand of coffee do you drink? Well, right now I am on some, uh, armored coffee that Mick from carry trainer sent me some of the S 12 blend and I'm, uh, currently consuming it out of one of my favorite cups by, uh, if you're an office fan, Mr. Dwight Schrute there with false, you know? So yeah, S <laughs> 12 armored blend. Love it. Or S12 blend from Armored Coffee right now. The uh, uh, best concealed... is a good one. Oh, Go okay, okay. Ar- Armored La- Coffee. Lavazza Espresso. Armored, armored Coffee. Coffee.com. Yeah, yeah. They do some uh, industry support stuff. And uh, I'm not going to Ar- disparage yeah, the it. other coffee armored company. Armoredcoffee.com, but... yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, for just regular keep around the house, there's a blend that I get from a place over here. Uh, called Yote, E-O-T-E, Ends of the Earth, great dudes um, that are a micro deal. And then for just buying off the shelf, Lavazza Espresso. And I make an Americano. I don't do drip coffee. So This might have been the like, most complicated answer we've gotten so far is the coffee question. Yeah, I, because I'm, I'm not a watch snob. I'm, I'm, almost, I'm not a watch snob, but I am a coffee snob for sure. <laughs> I'm a watch nerd. I'm a coffee snob. Oh, sorry. Got, glad we got clarification. Perfect. Yeah. Um, best concealed carry position and why? Uh, this is going to surprise you. Three o'clock on the hip. Three o'clock on the hip. And now you have to defend it. Why? Defend it because it goes with every cover garment, right? Like jacket, t-shirt. Uh, for me personally, I carry appendix. But if I'm wearing a sport jacket, it's kind of hard to carry appendix when you're wearing a sport jacket, unless you have some like specific deep cover gear. So I just say, you know, just for in general, three o'clock on the hip. Yeah. My, my, my sense is that if there was a faster, better position, that's where cops would put their guns. So when clearly when there's no issue of concealment, three o'clock has got to be the superior position with, you know, hundreds, mm-hmm. of, hundreds of years of us figuring that out. Right. Hundreds yeah. of pushing it. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, favorite handgun for EDC. Ooh, tough one. 
favorite handgun for EDC that gosh, that's such a loaded question. If I'm in, if, if I'm in normal guy mode, I'm a Beretta 92 fan and that is interchangeable with a SIG P320. If I am in like board shorts, t-shirts, flip-flops, J-frame. That's kind of apparel dependent. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And and uh, you're a man who likes his wheel guns. I found that out this weekend. <laughs> a great amount of passion for the wheel gun. Uh, best 9mm ammo for self-defense? The one that you can afford to buy and the one that you can find that shoots best in your gun. I am kind of agnostic when it comes to brand. And I have, in 19 years of police work, seen plenty of people shot with hardball. So is it the best? No. Does it work? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but my preferred brand, I'm, I'm really, I dig on Remington Golden Saber and the Spear Gold Dot. Those are kind of the two that I go back and forth between. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But right now, buy what you can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Next question. All right. If you had to choose between these three, which would you choose? So I'm going to give you three options and you have to you know, tell us which of these three you would run with. And then you have to justify it. Your three options are an apparel holster. So think like, you know, a shirt or a, you know, one of those pants or jeans or something that's got a holster built into it. Uh, off body carry. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, off body carry. So some sort of bag, you know, that your gun is in uh, or an ankle rig. Uh, ankle rig, J frame and an ankle rig. Mm. J frame. So, okay. So between those three, you're going with the ankle rig and you're going to throw a J frame in it. Yep. So why is the ankle rig better than the other two? Well, I don't like off body carry because I have, uh, I have worked two robberies, strong armed robberies where women had a gun in their purse. Guess what the bad guy was trying to take. So I never go with an off body carry and it, very rarely, unless it's, uh, you know, a secondary gun, um, apparel holsters. I've never found one that I liked, maybe a fanny pack, but, uh, I can always wear pants. I don't care what the weather is. I can put on pants if I need to carry, if I absolutely have to carry. And if I'm faced with those three decisions, it's going to be a J frame on the ankle. So excellent. Um, choose between the following. So I'm going to give you the you know, four gross styles of semi-automatic handguns. A DASA, striker fire, DA only, SA only. This is going to surprise you, striker. You're right. That surprised me because you you're you just got done telling us all you're a 92F guy. Uh, you love working on those Berettas, and you you love your wheel guns. But striker fire, if you're, if you're going to pick one of those, you're going to go striker fire. Yep. And specifically, if it's uh, like I only got one choice, I'm going Glock 19. Mm. Yep. Okay. So I you, have to, pick, you had to pick one striker fire gun, you're grabbing a, a G19. Yep. Because I can find parts sell- in Cairo, Cairo, Egypt, or Cairo, Illinois, and all places in between. There's a Glock 19 somewhere. Yep. So, yeah. That sounds very practical. I like it. Uh, give us three concealed carry holster brands that you love. Like uh, you, you have no hesitation to endorse th- these three companies. Uh, Keepers Concealment, JM Custom Kydex, and that's it. That's the only two that I use. <laughs> okay. I, the third one, and it, I mean Duty Rig Safari Land. I, I think they got that kind of sewn up, but uh, 
keepers and JM. That's the only two holsters that I carry and mag pouches. I just, I haven't had any, re- like I found them. I haven't had any reason to switch. So that's kind of my, my two cents on that. Yep. Yep. Um, your favorite fire for home defense. So, you know, you probably, I, I'm going, you know, let's, you may or may not grab the Glock 19, but you got a lot of options now. What's the home defense gun? Uh, some sort of AR. Yeah. And so some I, kind of you carbine. didn't go into my bedroom, but there's, there's one behind the door. So. <laughs> okay. Going for the carbine. Yeah, uh, but- let's see the gun you carried 10 years ago. So in, in 2011, what was your go-to gun? My carry gun at the time was a SIG P226R40 Smith & Wesson. Uh, I carried that gun every day for 14 years in police work. I, yeah, 14 years. So 10 years ago, that was right in the height of that. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, something you changed your mind about relative to guns and or self-defense in the last five years? Oh, that's a good one. I would say that probably the one shot stop theory Mm, So that in the last five years. Yeah. In the last five years, I've just seen enough to realize that probably one shot's not going to get it done unless you park it in the noodle. Uh, And I have worked two, uh, two Vic, I will say victims. They were, you know, today's victim, tomorrow's suspect, but uh, two of them that were headshot that uh, did not cease doing their criminal activity. So their naughty behavior, yeah. Their naughty behavior was not <laughs> was not ended by a by around in the uh, melonscape area here. So uh, yeah, that's probably so, the biggest. So yeah, five years ago though, like if I had said, hey, like you know. Is one shot probably going to get the job done? You would have said, yeah, probably. Yeah, I would have said, you know, high center chest or head, you're probably you're probably good to go. Uh, now, after having seen enough, um, no, probably not. Uh, that, that's probably the biggest thing that uh, on the defensive side that I've seen. I have some other little things that I've, I've kind of changed along the way, like you can shoot faster, you can shoot accurate, but you can't do both. And I, I've had a real paradigm shift in that that area as well. So, mm-hmm. here's a question from a listener on which I have no opinion, but Steve wants to know what do you think of the IWI Masada? That's the Israeli weapon something companies. Uh, that this is a gun from some Israeli mm-hmm. weapon manufacturer called the Masada. Yeah, I think that was a carbine, if I'm not mistaken, and. Uh, Hey, Eugene Stoner, man, it, he hit that one out of the park sixty years ago. So quit trying to reinvent the wheel. Like, like <laughs> I have, I have no idea what it is to be honest. So if it's, I'm if pretty it's sure that's the that's the one that became the modular something, and Remington marketed it for a while, and some other companies. I'm just gonna say, oh, dude, I just googled I it. So this yeah. is a handgun. This is striker fired handgun. Oh, okay. Uh, so yeah. Ga- Gaston Glock in 1980. Uh, he <laughs> like the, I haven't seen anything that's made me go, oh, Ooh, that does it so much better than a Glock. And, and I think some of maybe the, uh, the Israeli design stuff is born out of importation laws and not so much practicality. 
Um, I could be completely wrong on that. I've been wrong before, but uh, like uh, Glock 1917, the P80, like that came out in 1980 and I haven't seen anything that does anything substantially better, and I'm not willing to bank it on a company that I don't even know what their product line is year to year, year over year. So uh, I would hate to buy it and then go, oh, man, the site broke and it's proprietary. The striker broke and it's proprietary. The magazines, I can't get them because there's an import ban or whatever the case may be. So uh, I, I love the FNFAL. I don't own one. You know, it's kind of my theory on that. Yeah, my theory is that I'm not a guinea pig. I just really try not to use things that aren't proven because I I'm I don't trust myself to the degree of being the guy that decides whether or not that that's a good piece of kit or not. That's that's where I'm at. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> this is an interesting, awkward question. Greg wants to know if you've ever tried a flashbang holster. Uh I no. Good. No, uh, I know that I know the people that own the company. They're very nice, but um, I. I'm, I don't have the female equipment, although some might argue that, but, uh, I, I don't wear a brassiere. So no, I've never worn a flashbang holster. <laughs> Your first pistol and rifle you ever owned. That could be hard for you. Nope. Uh, first pistol was a Colt new frontier 22 single action. Uh, it looks kind of like an old flat type Ruger, but it was actually the Colt version of that. It looks like a scaled down single action army. First rifle was a Ruger 77. It is still in my gun safe. Uh, Ruger 77 22 looks like a 10 22, but it's bolt action and a scaled down model 70, uh, model 77 or Mauser scaled down action. So, uh, hopefully that was propeller headed enough to answer your question. <laughs> I want you to name one trainer other than you that everyone should take a class from Ernest Langdon. Uh, why? Um, if you've ever read the book, practical shooting beyond fundamentals, I don't think there's anybody else in the industry right now that breaks down the concepts of shooting in the now, uh, as well as Ernest does. And also if you go to his class, you're probably going to shoot while moving at a moving target. And he's one of the few trainers I feel like that does that on a portable scale. Um, so yeah, I, I, and I've watched that guy take novice shooters and within 24 hours, make them in, make them perform at a really high level. So I, I would encourage anybody and he's not doing as many classes anymore. So uh, yeah, I would definitely recommend him to anybody. If you're a striker guy, a single action, doesn't matter. Just do it. If you can. Excellent. Um. What uh, what do you recommend CCWs do when they are confronted by law enforcement in, say, a traffic stop? Well, of course, the stock answer is follow all your state and local laws. Uh, but the cop answer is keep your hands on the wheel and be friendly, be compliant and be friendly. And, you know, if that means you have to disclose immediately. Hey, I have a firearm. I, I'm a concealed handgun carrier. Um, it, you do that with your hands firmly mounted on the wheel and uh, then just be compliant. Uh, compliance goes a long way to avoid incidents. So uh, even if you think it's wrong, Oh, well, you shouldn't be getting me out of my car. Well, you know, you can argue that later. Um, you can make a complaint. You can call the guy's boss and go, he was a jerk or whatever, but 
compliance avoids accidents uh, or incidents. So, yeah, that's what I would say. Hands on the wheel. Be nice. Be compliant. What do you feel is the best magazine carrier for tactical gear? So presumably this is maybe going on like a plate carrier or something like that. Whichever one holds your magazine the best that you can manipulate the best. I I'm I don't have a preferred brand. Uh, there's times I've carried Molly gear that just stows a magazine because I'm running a carbine and that the handguns an afterthought at that point, it's a reserve parachute. So uh, me reloading that quickly is not a, not a factor. So just something that holds it secure that you can work with. Uh, as far as duty gear, I wear them on the belt, uh, horizontal bullets facing up and, uh, retention strap over them or not doesn't it doesn't don't have a preference there if you could only change one thing about law enforcement today what would that be and obviously we're speaking pretty generic that's a pretty broad question Mm -hmm. so you can you can go wherever you want with that i would not hire anybody into this career until they were 30 years old that's what i would do because i hired on at 22 and i was an idiot I mean, I just had no life. I mean, I had some military experience, but uh, until you've like endured some life trauma and life trial, um, I think, and, and it's a totally unrealistic expectation that we would go, oh, you can't have this job until you're 30. But I think by that point, your maturity level is at a point that you can operate uh, without having Oh, some of the more testosterone driven decision making and and things like that. So I think you're a little more firmly rooted when you're that age, but it's an unrealistic expectation, but that would be, I know that's probably a surprising answer, (laughs) but don't take the job until you're 30 and you've Mm -hmm. done something else. What is your favorite or best uh, gun or self-defense related app on your phone? Oh, not to sound like a shameless plug, but the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app, I recommend that all the time because it tracks the state's concealed carry laws and reciprocity. And as a policeman, I probably get asked a hundred times a a month, literally, hey, what's your your carry laws here? And I'm like, dude, you got a smartphone, download this app, plug in your information and not trying to sell you anything, but I don't keep a legal register up here going all the time. And that's your best tool. Excellent. So yeah. Listener question, best place to eat near the GN conference. So best place to eat near the Oklahoma city gun club. Okay. If you are talking fast food, get out of there quick. Uh, Pops on route 66 has a good burger and fry special for like eight bucks. Um, If you are staying in the greater Edmond area, there is a place called the Boulevard Steakhouse. Now you want to go drop a you want to go drop a hundred dollar bill on a meal. That's a good place to do it. Plus, you're only like ten minutes out of the Oklahoma City metro, and I will be at the conference. And I am familiar with all of the great restaurants. There's another one on Fifteenth called Fish City. Great place to eat. Um, so yeah, uh, corner me up at the Guardian Nation conference if you're like, hey, I want to drop some coin, or hey, I want a good meal, and I want to like you know that twenty 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 bucks, you know. I can, I can steer you. So, so please tell me fish city sells fish. They do. And it is fresh and imported daily, which means you pay, pay a little bit of a premium, but it is reasonably priced for the quality of product. You're and in the middle of the del- country. 
Exactly. And uh, they they literally catch it like the day before. So yeah. you're not getting you're not getting like seaside in uh you know in floor in the panhandle of Florida where they're bringing redfish off the boat. It's not like that, but it's as close as you can get. The other thing is they have a cream of jalapeno soup that is just awesome. I I Ooh. yeah. Yeah, I, <laughs> I frequent that place when I'm in the our you know, the Edmond area. Riley Bowman says the Tacoma doesn't qualify as a real truck. You reply to that statement, please. The last guy driving a Ford that I pulled out of a ditch with a Tacoma thought the same thing. <laughs> and that is uh, no joke. Uh, do you care what's around in the chamber? Always. Uh, what if you have, what about a 1911? Someone's running in a single action only. Would you have a different recommendation relative to carrying what's around the chamber? If it is your primary carry gun and you have a modern 1911, I'm not talking about GI Colt. I'm talking Series 70 with the proper hammer or Series 80 with the proper drop safety or modern modern incarnation like Springfield where you're using a 9mm lightweight firing pin on a 45 platform. Yes, round in the chamber. If you're carrying an older GI model, just don't carry it. It's that one, they're too valuable, and two, uh, it's a little bit questionable. Mm-hmm. Here's a good question uh, from a, a live viewer. If you're carrying a subcompact striker-fired pistol, do you prefer the higher capacity of the double stack or the minimum size of a single stack? I prefer double stack, double feed, mat, or you know, uh, staggered column magazines because I think – Again, John Browning, thank you with the Browning high power, that whole design. The nine millimeter mag stack is as reliable as it could ever be. Um, the, the 365, that new Smith and Wesson shield uh, that Spencer had out at uh, the range yeah, day. The, the plus, is that what they're calling it? The shield plus? Yeah. 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 I mean, I thought it was a single stack. I was like, oh, hey, cool. 13 rounds. Uh uh, in the modern era, I I don't think there's any real reason to carry a single stack anymore. I just I, I, I grant like granted the G forty five or G forty three G forty eight, that's cool, that's great, I get it, single stack, awesome, but uh, you know, it's not that much smaller than the G nineteen. You know what I mean? And uh, the three sixty five changed the ball game. It changed the landscape. So, uh, I I I do. Uh, prefer the capacity um some more okc specific questions here the best sushi best sushi gosh there's so many there's so many good ones i I like a place called tokyo moon i like uh shiki i like there's a a place called tokyo on uh northwestern there's a place downtown called gogo that's like a step above fast food but their sushi is incredible so, uh, again, corner me up at the Guardian Conference and ask me all your cuisine questions. <laughs> like the guy at the, at the fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're going to have a booth just like, okay, see, local help. Ask here. Cinnamon rolls this way. Are cops trained to shoot to kill? And is that advice you would generally endorse? I would say, no, we are not trained to shoot to kill. We are trained to stop a threat. Um, and the aside with that is if you are shooting to a level that incapacitates a threat, there is a high probability that that will be a fatality. So 
no, we're not trained to shoot to kill. We're trained to stop a threat. One handgun you strongly suggest nobody buys for self-defense. Starts with a T, ends with an RS. Yep. Okay, we got a whole brand. That's good. Yeah. Uh, how do you I, feel about expanded slash universal background checks and the, the legislation that we see popping around with that? Absolutely stupid. Uh, and here's why. Fix the NIC system. It works fine. Uh, start prosecuting people that lie on a 4473 and then tell me all about your universal background checks. Uh, but it's kind of like, well, I've got a car and it's got a flat tire, so I'm just going to go trade it in by a Lamborghini. It, like it makes no sense it, that that's to me is a well, total then, trash justification. You'd be buying a Lamborghini with flat tires. Exactly. It's like uh, you guys, I'm sorry. Um, I have dear friends that are ATF agents, but you can't fix the Nick system. And I have worked two, count them two where somebody blatantly lied on a 4473 and they went, eh, we'll get around to it. Maybe excuse me. That says it's a punishable by a felony and on the fine print and the fine print ain't even that fine. Like <laughs> it, that, that just baffles me that one, especially having been on the inside of like an FFL business. It's like, come on guys. Like we, you have dealers turning this information over to you and you're like, no, I don't know. We will. Well, universal background checks and we'll expand them. I'm like, you have a two, a year long backlog on suppressor stamps and you're going to start a new system. Get it? Come on. Okay. Whew. Rant complete. But it was still under 60 seconds. I just want to note that for listeners. Well, I was watching. So <laughs> the one dry fire tool or product you couldn't live without. Oh, a double action first shot gun or a revolver. Mm. Yep. Yeah, it's yeah, so yeah, I knew I threw you for a ringer on that repeated. one. Yeah, yeah, you're just repeated trigger presses. That's you know that's yep. that's what you're talking about. Yep. Um, do you? Th this is a live question from a viewer. Do you think most law enforcement departments offer enough firearm training to their officers, and are the qualifications standards high enough in your opinion? I feel like they're adequate. They're mostly adequate. And what I the mean by training that or is the qualification. The training, uh, the qualifications vary so vastly from state to state. Uh, I, I would have a hard time answering that. But as a firearms instructor, are the standards ever good enough? No, they're not. They never will be. That that's that's something that you aspire to constantly is to make it better and and have a better, higher level of performance with that. So basic academy training, yeah, I think it's adequate at which adequate meaning it has plenty of room for improvement, but it's not bad. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like we just answered this, but in case you want to expand on it, this is a question from a live viewer. Do you dry fire? And if so, what do you use? So any, you know, any more specificity there? I, I do not dry fire. I dry practice. And my brother, Daryl bulky says words matter. And if you say the word dry fire, you're implying that you're firing the gun. And every time you do a Labrador puppy gets killed. So we don't say dry fire. We say dry practice. That Can I say dry fire practice, Brian? Ooh, I, you know, I just, I, I consider it dry practice, uh, because you're actually not firing the gun. So, it, and that's something that I've had a habit of, of saying that I'm trying to break to kind of 
differentiate that from actually having ammunition in the gun uh, because I do have friends that have dry fired with a live gun uh, <laughs> and killed a television or two. Thank, thankfully, it was just that uh, one guy had to patch his roof, but we'll talk about that in another another time. Uh, but do I dry f- or do I dry practice? Absolutely. What do I use? Whatever I am carrying that day. Meaning if it's a striker fired gun and it's a compact, like a 365, uh, I'm going to unload the gun, practice with it and get, get dialed in with that trigger system, that sight system, that grip angle. If I'm carrying, you know, handy dandy J frame here, same, same. Cause it's, it's different. So give us the cops perspective on red flag laws and legislation. Uh, it will turn into the new vindictive version of a victim's protection order. And uh, I think uh, if we look at if we look at all these people that are doing stuff that they say we should have red flag laws for there, the bulk of them we already knew about. Right there. It was not a surprise that that happened until it happened. And they went, well, we've been hearing all this. And there it was. It happened. Um but having been in working in the legal system, the victim's protection order is probably one of the most highly abused court proceedings ever uh, because a, a spouse, a family member, somebody can go, well, he threatened me and he carries a gun and a judge will rubber stamp that until you go to court, which suspends some of your constitutionally protected civil rights. And I, I understand the necessity for it in certain circumstances, but I think it is abused regularly, especially in divorce proceedings and civil proceedings. So I think the red flag law will just become a version of that. And how about I'm a criminal and I know a cop's name and I go, well, he threatened me. Where's his red flag? Mm. You know, there, everything's a double-edged sword. There's no free lunch. And I hope I didn't give anybody any bad ideas. Go ahead. (laughs) Well, next thing you know, there's a complaint against Brian. Of the various shooting skills or fundamentals, which do you think is the most important or foundational? Grip. It covers a multitude of sins. The grip. If you can't hold on. Grip it right. Yep. You don't even have to grip it right. Grip it hard. Um, I mean, you know, the grip will save your bacon. Um and it will cover for a lot of other fundamental woes. So even if you don't get a great purchase on the gun, if you grip it firm and it doesn't move when you pull the trigger straight back, things will work out. This is a live question from a viewer. Best practices prior after your, you know, your live fire practice. So I just got done. I, I was just at the range. I got done with my live fire practice. You know, any best practices right before or right after that range session? Uh, about just in general, best practices. So all says um, best practices. I clean. Uh, here's a best practice. I clean my gun after a lengthy range session. I load it with a full magazine. I go fire said full magazine. I do not hmm. take the gun apart and clean it after that. Period. Because you've just certified it works. Why take it apart? Uh, second thing is. Um, Best practice prior to after your week uh, live fire practice. Uh, second thing is magazines. People overlook magazines constantly. 
and I have literally seen people that have malfunctions with a bad magazine and don't throw it away. They put it right back in their range bag. Buy magazines, throw them away. That's probably the two biggest things I see is dudes that go shoot, practice, certify their gun, make sure it hits where it's supposed to get a practice session in. The first thing to do is strip it all the way apart, clean everything, put it back together, load it with social ammo, go to work ammo. And it's like you're gambling. You're gambling that you did everything right. So that's that's a big pet peeve of mine. So and a good practice. Certify your gun before you carry it. That has never crossed my mind before. Brian, I've never once thought about that until you just said that. You just blew my mind right open, right? Like I go to the range, I shoot a bunch of ammo. Uh, I go home, clean it up, whatever, lube it, put it back together, stick it in my pants. Right. I, I mean, it seems like now that you say it, it sounds completely ridiculous. Like what the crap was I thinking? If I had done the quick field strip and clean and lube at the range, put a couple more rounds, even just a couple more, you know, depending on my availability and economic budget, ammo availability, mm-hmm. but just, a, you know, just the, the, the live function check. Right. And that like, okay, I'm good to go. Yeah. Half a magazine, five rounds. Yeah. And then is your gun get really that dirty in five rounds? No, Probably no, not. No. So not issue. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, This one's a silver platter one for you. Best concealed carry belt. Oh, the EDC belt company foundation belt. You're a t-shirt and jeans guy like, uh, well, because I don't carry a battle belt when I'm in concealed carry gear, right? Which is like shorts, t-shirt. I mean, you saw me all weekend. Uh, I was wearing a foundation belt, uh, I hang a spare mag on it. Sometimes uh, I can hang a full size pistol on it comfortably. Uh, and it is a, the best way to sum it up is it is a nylon adjustable belt that wears like a leather belt. That's the best way I can put it. So yeah, it's by far and away my favorite. How about duty belt? Best duty belt. Uh, I'm a big fan of the tactical tailor right now. Um, Safari land makes some good ones. You know, Bianchi makes some good ones. Tactical Taylor has a little more adjustability. And when you're riding a bike, sometimes setting it up to where one size fits all doesn't because, you know, I had a big meal at lunch and now I got to go pedal a bike. So I need to, I need a little slack. Uh, and it, it's pretty adjustable pretty quick. So that that's probably right now. Top of my list is tactical. That's what I wear every day is a tactical Taylor. Uh, live question here. This is kind of a follow-up from a listener how do you know that it's the magazine having issues versus something else you mentioned kind of oh malfunction chuck that mag um i would say in modern handguns probably there's two things that really cause them problems the extractor is the achilles heel of all semi-automatic automatic firearms and the other way you know is if you keep getting malfunctions in that magazine it's probably that magazine uh you know I've seen dudes with Glocks that go, man, it runs fine on these two. And this one, it just won't run. I'm like, go throw it away. Get another one. Um, if it's shooter induced, uh, generally you're going to have some type of pain associated with that to understand that, oh, I got in the way of something that was moving. Uh, extractor issues. I've seen them. They're not as common anymore as they used to be in the early two thousands. That was the, that was by far and away the Achilles heel. On the 1911, the extractor on all the 2011, I don't care which 11 it is, the extractor is absolutely the Achilles heel of that gun. 
And it's really easy to spot that um, if you know what you're looking for. So roughly described, what is the procedure for law enforcement to quote trace a gun found at a crime scene? Okay. Guns taken off bad guy guns found at crime scene. Gun gets booked into an evidence locker with an ATF request for tracking. Uh, some agencies do it automatically. Some it's, you know, if it's just lost found property or something, they're probably not going to run an ATF trace, uh, from the way that I understand it, the, the ATF tracks it to the manufacturer and then where it went from there, it went to an FFL dealer, right? And then they go to the FFL dealer. They pull the record of who it was sold to. They contact that person. If it was sold at a gun show, who'd you sell it to? If it was, you know, which you should keep some type of a record of that if you do sell a firearm. Uh, and then they go from, and that's how it goes from there. Uh, and then nine, I would say most of the ones I ever recovered were stolen from somebody. So at some point in the chain, they go, here's my police report number. I reported that stolen five years ago. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how the process works. This is a good one. What is your, this is from a live viewer. What is your favorite brand of bicycle and frame material? Uh, Cannondale. I, I'm a big Cannondale fan because I'm a tall dude and alloy, uh, like aluminum frame, because I have this reputation for snapping carbon fiber bikes. Uh, not because I'm like some world class athlete, but when you're tall and you're pressing down on pedals, flexing the bottom bracket i have snapped bottom brackets on carbon bikes even the more expensive ones and people go well these pro cyclists ride them all the time and they never have problems i go they're 150 pound italian dudes that get a new bicycle every single day they're not going to destroy them uh so cannondale is my favorite brand the cad 12 specifically which i don't even know if they make anymore and then aluminum frames are are my jam what is a high capacity magazine Mm, well, the Cabela's uh, Master Catalog is a pretty high-capacity magazine. The Bass Pro Shops, uh, I rehearsed that one, by the way. Uh, as far as firearms are concerned, um, <laughs> if it's flush fit, I don't care how many rounds it, it carries. After that, you know, I would say like the 33-round Beretta stick or something. Okay, that's a high-capacity magazine, but sta- I, I refer to them as standard capacity because that gun was designed to carry a standard, you know, payload of ammunition. So, um, and other than that, you know, the, the Cabela's fishing pro guide, that's a huge capacity magazine. No, I'm kidding. It is massive. That's, what is your favorite is drill to run at the range? Ooh, man. Um, for tune up, Justin dials five yard roundup, hands down. It's 10 Justin rounds in it. All the bit. Ba- D-Y-A-L, Lieutenant Colonel Justin Dial, retired. Uh, he has a, a an exercise called five-yard roundup. It takes 10 rounds. Everything's a two-and-a-half-second part-time, and it covers draw, support hand, strong hand only, and uh, everything but a reload. So, And it's done at five yards. So, Laser that's, aiming that's, devices, defensive handguns, good or bad? I don't. I'm not a fan. I, I'm just not. Uh, and it, the main reason for that is if you can see a dot on a target, you're not looking at it through your sights. And if it's threatening enough that you're going to put the muzzle on it with a dot, you should probably be looking through your sights, right? Now, that being said, if I'm carrying a ballistic shield, 
pretty good idea to have it because that hundred pound shield I'm carrying on my arm and I may not be able to get my handgun in front of my face. Okay. That's an alternative, alternative method of actually, you know, aligning the gun, but that I don't know how many guys, you know, that carry ballistic shields, but I've been a cop 19 years and it's happened to me one time. And it was just because like it was there. So (laughs) I'll keep that in mind next time I pick up my ballistic shield. Uh, yeah, do, do, do private non-LEO civilians need an AR-15? Absolutely. Everybody does. I, every legal gun owner should have an AR-15. Your favorite shot timer? Uh, I'm digging the range tech, uh, the range tech Bluetooth timer. Been digging that one. Um, I, I haven't put it through a whole bunch of paces, but I've put it through enough to be like, yeah, this is doable because I always have a cell phone with me. So it, 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 it just what's your old sense. faithful in that category? Though? Like, I mean, the range tech's a little new to you. So like, what's your old faithful timer? Oh, probably pocket pro. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we talked about it before. Uh, I go through timers. Like I go through ear pro, like I almost like it's a yearly expense. Uh, I just figure that about the time that the battery's dead, it's pretty hammered, but the, the, the range tech, uh, it's seen a lot of range bag time, and I think that's where they get torn up and, uh, you know, from throwing your bag in the back of the truck or whatever, or as Riley Bowman would say, throwing the bag, bag in the back of your not a truck Tacoma. Um, you know, they tend to take a lot of impact and damage. And, you know, about I get we talked about it before. I get about a battery out of them and th- then they're kind of thrashed. The one I have right now has been lucky. I've had uh I've had it for about four years. So yeah, you're doing good. What is your preferred target for live fire? Oh, for live fire practice, um, two inch dot. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, second would be a B eight. Your go-to safety glasses, like brand or a specific product. Yeah. Since as you can tell, I, I wear prescriptions. So I, I tend to favor Oakley. I go get, and it's expensive, but I go every year, and uh, that's one of the reasons I have to keep doing handgun classes so I can get a company expense and actually go buy some Oakleys with prescriptions. So that that's my go-to. Yep. Saw you wearing them all weekend. Mm-hmm. Do you and or, okay. Do you and or do you recommend people wear body armor off duty on or off the range? Uh, no. If I'm so going you, somewhere. Body armor is a duty, is a duty gear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if I'm going somewhere, I think I need body armor. I'm just not going to go there. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's at risk mitigation, right? Uh, and I'm sorry, but I don't care how covert they say the body armor is. I can spot somebody wearing body armor pretty quick. And it's a big red flag. That's somebody mm-hmm. saying, I don't want to get shot when I'm doing what I'm doing. Uh, if you're in a uniform and you're kind of doing that like duty, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, you're, it's pretty innocuous at that point, but yeah, if I'm good. And then when I'm training other people, which I'm still under a minute, I'm training under pe- other people, depending on the caliber of person I'm training as in their skill level and their familiarization with the four safety rules, I may or may not opt to put on some soft armor. Uh, I have done that. I had a contract training, a security company, which is now defunct. And after about the third time I got a gun pointed at me, I was like, okay, that's enough. I'm putting on some body armor because I got to fulfill this contract and these people got to learn. So, uh, you know, 
There you go. This is from a live viewer. The best gun myth or bad advice you have ever heard. They all fall to hardball. <laughs> so for those who aren't 45 familiar with the expression. Is, yeah. 45 is better than anything. Cause they don't make a 46 dude. I've literally interviewed a guy that had four rounds from a 44 Magnum in the chest and was talking to me like you and I are having a conversation right now. And the only reason I knew he was shot with a 44 mag is my partners called me and said, dude, there's a 44 mag over here. And I went, eh, this looks like a hole to me. So yeah. Yeah. yeah the caliber debate. Yeah. <laughs> From a live viewer here, do you use a red dot on your pistol or do you prefer iron sights? Uh, well, my Beretta has a big red, like fiber optic on it. So yeah, I guess I do have a red dot on my gun. Uh, iron sights. I prefer irons for certain things. I do have a fondness for red dots. I just don't carry them right now because nobody in the industry has given me the over the counter solution that I will, uh, that I'll hang my shingle on. Mm -hmm. They're getting better. They're getting really, they're getting good. Uh, but I don't want to have to go to the gun shop and go, well, I need this plate with this gun, but this gun will only take this red dot, but this red dot's only a top load. And this one's a bottom load. And this one's a side cut the crap. Give me an over the counter solution. Like this red dot does all these things and it mounts to this gun directly. Thank you. Have a nice day. That's, that's my red dot take right now. And I hate suppressor height sites. I just hate them. <laughs> and they shouldn't be necessary. Your favorite collector or antique firearm that you may or may not currently own. Ooh. Uh, so I was bestowed upon a Remington model 81 woods master in 300 savage, uh, which if you've ever seen Frank Hamer, he's carrying a model eight or an 81. Uh, and, that's probably my, my dad has a, a, you know, a brace of each caliber and he bestowed upon me one of his that, uh, is in 300 Savage, which is a, a you know, you can still kind of get ammo for, um, I would have preferred a 35 Remington there, dad, but that's all right. He didn't have one. So we'll let that one go. But yeah, I got that one on range day. He was like, Hey, I put something in your back seat and I'm like, Hey, look, a Remington model 81. This is awesome. So that's probably they're exceptionally cool guns. And, uh, it was the, uh, patrol carbine of like the twenties and thirties. So we're, we're almost out of time. So I'm going to just wrap it up with one more question, Brian, uh, this weekend, I, for the first time in my life, had the opportunity mm -hmm. to visit the Oklahoma city bombing Memorial uh, okay. for context. I want people to know that not only are you from there, but you were there, your dad worked the scene. Uh, many mm -hmm. people you knew, uh, that you uh, worked with over the years have worked that scene. Were there on site when 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 boom happened, and so I'd like to know what is one or what is the most important thing the Oklahoma City people learned from that bombing that the rest of America needs to know or that we've forgotten. The level of humanity there was overwhelming, uh, and what I mean is strangers helping strangers. Uh, I, I've, I don't know what it was like in New York on nine 11. Uh, I can tell you in my experience here, 
the news would say, hey, the first responders are, uh, you know, a cop would go, golly, I wish I had some clean socks and a truckload of them would show up. You know, hey, these guys have been working 20 hours straight uh, it and, and like pizza trucks would show up. Nobody really asked for it. Um, it got to the point the donations were so, uh, you know, so frequent that they had to set up like a circus tent and, you know, vendors were bringing in uh, boots and uniforms and T-shirts and sleeping bags and pillows. And I, I've never seen anything like it in my life. And I mean, I was 15 years old when that happened. And I can remember, you know, my dad coming in and going, man, my boots are thrashed. And the next day showing up with a new pair going, man, somebody gave these to me so that I could keep doing what I'm doing. Um, I, I think that was probably the biggest thing that I took away from that was people that were from other States were coming in offering to lend a hand any way they could. So, you know, it gives me some hope. I think here, 26 years later, I think the American populace still has a lot of that in them, even though, you know, in the periods of civil unrest we've seen, I, I still think people are genuinely good. Yeah. Over the weekend, I heard one officer re- refer to it as the uh, temporary Walmart. You know, that they yeah. could just kind of walk through these tents and just like whatever you wanted. It was there. You need toilet paper here. You need Kleenex here. You need gloves. You need boots. You need food. Um, and yeah. and at the site, at the memorial, there's an orchard. And the orchard uh, represents the first responders who responded. And, and it's kind of um, layered. Think like ripples of a pond around this tree. They call it the survivor tree. And so the first layer are sort of, I can't remember, you know, which species of mm-hmm. tree. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. It's justice. a sycamore. The sycamore. And, and then yeah. there's, there's the, the first kind of layer of trees in the orchard around that tree represent, I think the first responders and the next layer of trees represent, you know, healthcare workers. I, I don't, I don't remember, but you know, there's different, different types of species of trees that represent um, different people who came from far and wide to help. And, and on the outside of the, you know, there's kind of this, um, this, this, the survivor tree is kind of, and I'm not going to talk more about the tree, but it, it's kind of, you know, sorry, it's, it's an it's elm. Kind of, Oh, it's an elm. The survivor it's, tree is it's an elm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of got, it's kind of up almost on, you know, not like a hill, but it's kind of, you know, up a little bit elevated above ground level. And it has this kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, kind of the stone, um, you know, circ, you know, thing that kind of like a wall, like a little short stone wall that goes around about three fourths the tree, like a, like a horseshoe. And on the outside of that, uh, on the outside of that wall, or written some words and I was very touched when I was there and I read, I read the words. And so I'm, I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. So I don't picture it. Here it is. It says the following to the courageous and caring who responded from near and far. We offer our eternal gratitude as a thank you to the thousands of rescuers and volunteers who helped. And so, yeah, just, I, I was very touched by the memorial and I really like what you said about humanity. Like the, the biggest thing you, you think that we've forgotten or the, the, that was impactful to you personally was that we, you know, people came together like out of the woodwork to do whatever it took to help everybody who was suffering or working or trying to, to, to help. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, especially when I'm, I'm seeing 
uh, my own father that every day wakes up and knows for 12 hours he's going to go dig other human beings out of that. Um, and I want to get a little choked up here. Um, and it's, I took a little page from your deal and I actually took a walk over there today and it's, you know, 26 years later, it still gets to me and it gets to me now more as an adult seeing like the stuff that my dad and all, and a lot of my peers actually endured and, uh, Man, just just watching people that had no like no other call to be there other than man, somebody's in need, and and it was really powerful. Uh, yeah, I I try you know I live what four blocks from there, and uh, this is actually the same place where my dad lived at that time. So you know, imagine walking to work, knowing for twelve hours you're going to have to smell the smells and see the seas and hear the the things. And doing that for days on end and then having people that you don't even know show up to provide for everything else. So, yeah, it's pretty powerful. Well, there you have it, folks. That is a perfect end to our rapid fire with Brian Eastridge. He's going to go take a breath, drink a lot of water. We've had him talking pretty hard and fast for a little over an hour here. Brian, good work on the rapid fire, my man. Well, I, I did appreciate the little bit of a heads up there because there was a couple of them, you know, the magazine thing. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to get you here. <laughs> so I, I really did. I do appreciate you giving me uh, a heads up. I had no idea we were going to do audience like interaction Q&A. So thanks for those of you that, that tuned in. And uh, I hope I didn't hurt too many people's feelings, but. You're allowed to have opinions. All professionals are. So we appreciate you. Guys, if you aren't already subscribed to the Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast, please go check that out. Uh, I encourage you to uh, to go tune in and, and subscribe to Brian's podcast. If you're in the Oklahoma City area, uh, Brian does teach classes. You can learn about it. Be sure, if you haven't already, to check out the foundation belt from EDC Belt Company. EDCBeltCO.com uh, is, is the official website for that brand. And if you're not already signed up for the Guardian Conference, go to guardianconference.com, get signed up. Uh, that'll be in September in Oklahoma City. In addition to all the fine cuisine we heard about today, you'll also have a chance to, to train with Brian on the range, as well as all the other fantastic instructors they'll be teaching there. Uh, today, we're recording this on April 14th, but uh, it will get published to our audio feed in about a week or so from now. We, so if you're listening to us live right now, the anniversary, the 26th anniversary of the Oklahoma City bombing is five days from now. If you're listening to the recording uh, in, in our podcast feed, then the Oklahoma City bombing anniversary was two or three days ago. So I would encourage you to, uh, there's a beautiful website, a federal website that talks about the memorial, has a lot of great information. Uh, if you did nothing more than just go and uh, read the Wikipedia page, I think you'd be the better for it. Uh, I know that I, I feel greatly enhanced as a human after my visit to that memorial and especially after hearing some of the personal stories uh, from your dad and from others who responded to that scene. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We appreciate it, all the listeners, both live and those who are listening to the recording. This is Jacob Paulson and Brian Eastridge. We're signing off. Remember to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Mm-hmm.